Welcome back, everyone, to the 14th episode of the Take the Points podcast, the first one that we're doing after live NFL games have been played. I'm your co-host, Tate Set, joined as always by Arjun Menon, where we will do our week one review, talk about players that did really well, and do a preview of week two with bets we like. Arjun, how you feeling? Doing great. Um, we've talked about this off air, but I don't think this weekend could have gone any better for me, at least as a fan perspective. And as, you know, as analysts, I think a lot of our takes um, look good so far, Mm -hmm. whether it is about teams or players and players we expected to get better, players we expected to regress. I think week one, while it's still very early and we shouldn't overreact, I think there is some signal to be taken from week one that, you know, generally went in our favor, which we'll talk about a little bit more. So, um, you know, we'll talk about betting a little bit later, but Betting wise, I ended up a little bit profitable, but some of the bets we gave out kind of didn't hit the way mm-hmm. we wanted them to. But also, you know, I, I was t- talking about you about the Lions and I was really happy that you went to a pretty good game. And, you know, I'm sure you should be pretty excited for the team going forward. Yeah, I, d- I definitely feel better about the Lions uh, after week one. Uh, go- just going to the game was, you know, one of the most enjoyable live sporting events I've ever been to because walking into the stadium, uh, Philly fans were going crazy. You know, I, I tweeted that there was like a 10 year old on his dad's shoulders, just flipping off Lions fans. Uh, Eagles fans were having, you know, chants and Lions fans were chanting back. And then the stadium was just so loud. Uh, you know, people, you know, the data shows that home field advantage doesn't matter as much as it used to, but it felt like we mattered as fans on Sunday. And, you know, there were five delay of game penalties by the Eagles, but enough about, enough about the Lions. Uh, we'll, we'll get to them a little bit later. Uh, to start this episode, we'll review a couple games we thought were noteworthy and fun to talk about. But, you know, let's let's review the, the week one bets first, Arjun. Yeah, so we gave out six week one bets over the course of like three weeks to our listeners. We ultimately ended up going two and four. Um, not the start we wanted to, ended up down about 2.75 units. So the bets we gave out, Chargers minus three and a half, that one. Rams team total over 24 and a half ended up being 25 and a half by the time the recording came out that lost our play of the week was the Broncos Chiefs parlay and I don't know about you I think that was still a good play it was a good process because the Broncos outgained the Seahawks by 200 total yards and they just lost because of two goal line fumbles so we were close there yeah and I mean at any point in the game or at least before the game there was definitely hedging opportunities where you know we recommended 1.5 units on that play and you could have put like 0.5 units on the Seahawks money line mm-hmm. beforehand to at least secure a profit. Um, so, but again, you know, that, that loss, the Eagles minus three and a half. I love this play that you gave out and it, you know, it was minus four ended up closing minus five and a half. So we got some really good closing line, yeah. or some pretty good closing line value. Eagles are up 17 to start the fourth and in typical Lions fashion, they backdoored the spread, <laughs> but still lost. Dan so, Campbell's a covering machine. Yeah. So I still like the process there. Bucks minus one and a half. That was a that was a freebie. No sweat there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Patriots money line, which you know just didn't really go in our favor yeah. from the start. Yeah, that was yeah that was that was a pretty big miss on my part. But I still like the process for a lot of our bets, and you know hopefully we we get on that this week. But yeah, let's let's talk about the games. And so you know we really have to start with Bills Rams on on Thursday night to open the season. And like to me, you know I think 
the Bills just were a house in that game and are going to be for the rest of the season. But what really stood out to me, you know, watching from someone who wanted the Rams offense to do well for betting reasons and for emotional reasons, uh, I thought it was really interesting. You know, the Rams on their first 10 first and 10s, they rushed eight times for 13 yards, what was which was 1.6 yards per carry and passed twice for 11 yards, which was 5.5 yards per attempt. So, you know, again, it goes back to the Rams offensive line uh, got a lot worse this offseason. That's something that we mentioned during our if statement uh, show where we were really, you know, thinking about like how much they lost in their offensive line and if they were going to be able to do the seven step drop backs that they were so successful on last year. And while Stafford didn't play well in this game, no one except Cooper Cup on the Rams offense played well. And that started up front with the offensive line. So I thought the over-reliance on the run game, especially on first and 10, was continuously putting them behind the sticks and, you know, really caused what could have been like a fun shootout to be kind of a game where the Bills kind of just rolled over the Rams, uh, especially in the second half. Yeah, it kind of sucks just seeing Stafford only have two downs to work with Mm -hmm. most of the time. And it was like, oh, third and Stafford or third and Cup. And at the end of the day, the Bills are a house. And like you said, we're probably going to be one of the best defenses in the league again this year. So when you're behind the sticks all the time and you're forcing Safford to convert all these third and longs, eventually it will catch up. And I was talking with our friend Sharp Clark, you know, Josiah about this game. And I was like, how should we be reacting? Because the Rams look terrible, Mm -hmm. but they're also playing the best team in the NFL. So I think the big takeaway for me is, as analysts and even fans, we kind of maybe overlooked how much worse the Rams got in the offseason. Losing Whitworth is huge, and going from Whitworth to Joe Noteboom is a significant drop off. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I talked about it on Twitter. Like one of the best articles of the summer was Judah's um, pass blocking, pass protection, diminishing returns, where if you go from a 75 percentile uh, blocker, which Whitworth, Whitworth is a little bit better than that, to Noteboom, who's average below average the delta and epa gain loss from that is, is significant right mm-hmm. and that's what we kind of saw von miller took him to the shed and on top of that you're kind of replacing odell with Allen robinson which is a downgrade so the lack of secondary receivers for the rams was was evident and i think that's what happened where cub kind of you know did his thing but robinson didn't show up skoranek obviously didn't show up and they only played 15 offensive players, which kind of speaks to their lack of depth mm-hmm. um, along the, the receiver in the receiver room. And now they're losing Brian Allen for four weeks. Joe Noteboom's already hurt. So it's, it's pretty, it was a, a concerning effort from the Rams. One, I don't think we should completely overreact to. They're still for the favors to win the NFC West, but I think there is some signal and some, and some, um, some things we should take away from that game. Yeah. And you know, the the receiver depth is crucial because, you know, we see on the other end, Josh Allen was amazing, but the way that the Bills have built their receiver room has just been so impressive, right? So when Josh Allen originally got there, everyone knew he was going to be inaccurate and they tried to get Calvin Benjamin because they wanted this big receiver that could, you know, make catches, you know, with this huge catch radius and that didn't work out. So instead of, you know, trying to just double up on that, they pivoted. They're like, what if we got these really good separators. So you get Diggs, who, uh, you know, is one of the best route runners in the NFL, eight receptions, 122 yards. You get Gabriel Davis in the fourth round, who was a good separator at UCF, four receptions, 88 yards. And then you sprinkle in all these other uh, receivers that, you know, can urge Josh Allen to not take the deep deep shots and check down, right? With Isaiah McKenzie, uh, you know, and Zach Moss and 
uh, Jameson Crowder. Like these are all just really good secondary receivers that you want Josh Allen throwing to. And that's like why their offense is so good. Even though they don't have an elite offensive line, it's mm-hmm. Allen being an alien quarterback and then just crazy depth at receiver that you can trust and he can trust. Yeah, I agree. So again, I think that game was not the not the most fun to watch, but definitely some takeaways from both teams there. But um, I think we should pivot to Lions Eagles. I'm gonna I'm just gonna let you kind of intro this. You were at the game. I I was following along, you know, just on my computer, um, and watching parts of it. And obviously, I watched the replay after. But what what did you think of this game? I think that everything that the Eagles went out to do this off season on offense came to fruition in this game. Uh, you want to make Jalen Hurts more comfortable as a passer. And he clearly was. He still he still doesn't he's not going to move the needle much as a pure passer like some other quarterbacks can do. And it was it was pretty clear in this game going up against, you know, pretty bad defense. But just having AJ Brown there is so huge in all the ways that they were getting AJ Brown the ball. He ended up with 10 receptions, 155 yards. The first pass that they threw to him was a screen just you know max manufacturing touches for aj brown he was running you know a lot of in breakers he had this uh, basically a game-changing play right before halftime that was a 50-yard reception uh, on the right sideline and you know for him to move it, just seeing him in person like you realize how big he is for him to move as fast as he does is is pretty crazy and so the eagles are you know have have a lot of questions about their defense, I think, after this game, I think, you know, the Lions offense, the vision is there, right? You have this really good offensive line that was uh, missing their starting right guard with Vitae and also had their center playing her, Frank Ragnow. And they were still mauling people over in the running game. DeAndre Swift led all rushers with 2.06 rushing yards over expected, uh, according to the PFF model in week one. So it was the combination of the offensive line just yeah, dominating the trenches and uh, and DeAndre Swift, you know, playing really well. And Jordan Davis was really like the only defensive lineman that was making an impact on the Lions run game in this game. But the Lions passing game, uh, you know, with Goff throwing the pick six and going into a little bit of like a slump in the whole second quarter just wasn't enough to beat the Eagles in this game. Yeah, I, I really like your point about how the Eagles, like the offense that we kind of manifested came to fruition. Um, you know, like I was just just looking at AJ Brown, like in his how his yards were distributed. So 155 yards, only 63 of them came after the catch, which like when you think of AJ Brown, you think of like a yak monster, but less than 50% of his stuff came after the catch, which kind of means, you know, the Eagles are comfortable using him as that over the middle guy. Mm-hmm. And as, as more of a, not really just a possession receiver, but a guy that can kind of run the full route tree, which he might not have had that same opportunity in Tennessee. Um, but, but yeah, I think there's some positive takeaways for the Lions, even on defense. Like, I mean, Jeffrey Okuda apparently looked really good. He Devontae did. Smith kind of just blanked across yeah. the board. So it's good to see that type of development. There's very few corners in the NFL who will ever win a game against A.J. Brown. So I, I'm not, like, too worried about them there. Um, I will say I'm pretty concerned how the Eagles' defense allowed 35 points to this Lions offense. I guess – when you're up 17 in the fourth, you know, you can kind of take your foot off the pedal mm-hmm. on defense a little bit. And, you know, Jonathan Gannon last year ran one of the most vanilla defensive schemes in the NFL, lowest stunt rate over expected. Like he's not really doing much. He's just saying, go and win your matchups. Mm-hmm. So um, Eagles is, is definitely going to be a point of 
you know, the defense at least will be a point of emphasis for me just to watch. They have a pretty good matchup against the Vikings, and that should be a good test for them um, to see, like, how good this unit is going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I I would be concerned if I was the Eagles fan, too, about, about the defense. Uh, you know, you can't let up 35 points to the Lions if you want to be considered one of the best teams in the NFL. The offense is definitely there for them. Defense definitely needs to to take a step up, but it's only week one. There's there's no reason to overreact to anything yet. Uh, but transitioning to Steelers Bengals, I'll I'll have you <laughs> take this one to start. Okay. So I was watching Steelers Bengals for the majority of the one o'clock slate because I I did think it was the best game on the slate. And when I tell you I I was just like there's no way this the start of the season could have gone better for us. I mean not everything. We talked about about this Bengals team and specifically about Joe Burrow came to fruition. Mm-hmm. We highlighted on we've done this on Twitter, we've done this in DMs on this podcast. We've highlighted like pretty much four major weaknesses for Joe Burrow. And there's not a lot of big weaknesses he has, mind you, but these yeah. weaknesses are major. And like we said, if he fixes these, he will be elite. But right now he's not because those weaknesses are still there. He's he takes too many sacks. He took six sacks. He took seven sacks this game. Uh, PFF charted four attributable to the offensive line, which means he was responsible for three. Kevin Cole just put out a graph showing that you know QB sacks like relative to expectation. He was he had the third most sacks that he took um, over expected, mm-hmm. only behind like Stafford and and someone else. Um, his uh, his arm strength is going to. Um, limit him in some of the throws he makes the pick six to mink that mink fitzpatrick took took to the house was an out route that he threw a second late and why actually why don't you talk about the quote from the athletic podcast that you heard uh yeah so they were talking about how you know when you have a quarterback with an arm like a mahomes or rogers Allen herbert your timing doesn't have to be perfect because you have so much margin for error and you know if if you don't throw the pass you know right when they're breaking on their route that's okay because the ball gets there so fast in the line drive burrow has to throw his out routes with more of a loop to it meaning that if his timing isn't perfect the ball is going to hang in the air for for you know a lot longer and it's okay for him because he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league most of the time mm-hmm. but when you go up against a minka fitzpatrick who's you know one of the best safeties in the league that kind of knows what you're doing and they're playing a too high scheme against you. Like they're in cover two on the pick six. That's what's going to, you know, really affect him with, you know, Burrow ended up throwing, throwing the interception that, you know, probably an elite quarterback wouldn't have thrown because of their arm strength. Exactly. And then the other two weaknesses, um, his over-reliance on the deep ball to kind of generate efficiency or generate yards in general in this game on deep passes. So passes of more than 20 yards, one of five, 20 yards and a pick. So we're already seeing a little bit of regression there. And I mean, the Steelers secondary is like, it's okay. I would say it's like middle of the pack, maybe it's trending above average, but it's it's really nothing that special. And then also he's not, he hasn't like been able to take the check down very often. And we were talking with our friend, Steven Ruiz about this and he was sending us clips and it was like the two clips where the pick six was there and uh, he where he took a sack, he had Joe Mixon on the running back release route right over the middle that he completely just ignored, yeah. which would have gone for first downs for on both plays. So every major weakness we highlighted for Burrow showed up in the in the film in the game. And again, the the Bengals ceiling is kind of capped if he doesn't, or you know they have to go on an insane stretch where everything goes right for them, which 
you know, it's been happening again, but um, it wasn't the greatest showing from Burrow. And the Steelers did what I expected most defenses to do, play a lot more too hot or split safety coverages. They played cover two about 28% of the time, cover six about um 12.1% of the time and cover one about 25.3% of the time. So a good mix of coverages, but a lot of, a lot of too high stuff. And especially in cover two, where you're f- forcing Burrow to beat you with his arm and hit those whole shots, which he hasn't really sh- uh, have a tendency to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was, that was great analysis on, on that. And uh, the Bengals will be fine. Like they, yeah. they have too much talent to, you know, really, really fail. But this was kind of a crucial game for them because it's a, uh, you're playing in this loaded AFC and it's a division game and you're playing against, you know, a, a quarterback who probably shouldn't be starting in the NFL. So it's tough to drop this game, but you know, a lot of the things we said about the bagels that they had to work on, like how their offensive line approved and, but Burrow still took seven sacks in this game, right. Is because those things are stable year to year. Like that's what we were trying to like explain to people is even if their offensive line improves, it'll help them on just getting pressured less but his pressure to sack ratio is still going to be really high and it was in this game so that's just some of the things that you know maybe he gets better at eventually but it's a lot harder to get better at those things than it is to get better at uh things that are that are less stable you know like performance under pressure you might have a year where you play really well while you're under pressure and that's like considered an improvement in air quotes for you so you know it's, it's, it's it's interesting to see like how they'll handle everything going forward yeah and last thing about that game mike tallman is just he, he's just a dog like, yeah I, he just wins games mm. like that you talk about qb wins aren't really like that much of a thing but like mike tallman just finds ways to win and it's just crazy that the bank the steelers pulled out that game with how crappy that offense was yeah it's just just hey, insane mike tallman's never had a year where he's had a negative wins over expected coaching where if you you know summed up all his pff grades and and expected, you know, how many wins that they would get. Like, he's, yeah. it's just amazing how, and he, you know, he's probably going to do it again this year. This roster is a six, six win team probably. <laughs> and, you know, the, yeah. the, you know, he's, he's going to get like seven or eight wins out of it. Yeah. So let's, let's move on to, you know, kind of the four o'clock games. I think the storylines out of those games were the chiefs of the Vikings new offenses, right? So we have Patrick Mahomes who plays basically a perfect game uh, out of those, uh, you know, had five touchdowns, which his touchdown uh, prop was, was two and a half. Uh, and then, you know, you could really start to see the vision of how they money balled their receiver room, right? You're not going to replace Tyree kill with another Tyree kill. There's, there's no one like it. So, you know, you have nine targets to Travis Kelsey, which makes sense, but you also have eight targets to Juju Smith-Suster, four to Mark, Marcos Valdez-Scanley, three to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, one to Sky Moore, Ford and Jarek McKinnon. So you have all these targets being spread around. Uh, and, and, you know, they're really just taking advantage of the personnel they have and making it work because they have the best quarterback in the NFL. Uh, and, you know, it was a good reminder for everyone who wanted to put Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen as their quarterback one this offseason. It's still Patrick Mahomes. It's always been Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, because you look at you look at Aaron Rodgers and. I mean, he didn't have the best week mm-hmm. one game. And obviously we kind of saw that story last year, but Mahomes just comes out and drops three touchdowns in the first 18 minutes. And I'm like, okay, thanks for the, thanks for the touchdown prop. That was like the freest line we'd probably see it for the year. But, but yeah, you know, I, thanks to some of the guys in the NFL verse, you know, we are able to have public personnel data and stuff. So just looking at some of that thing, some of the, that's uh data, 
the Chiefs had a 13 personnel average 0.73 EPA per play on I mean, in eight plays, which is like, I guess, like significant enough in, in a one game sample size. And I guess like part of that is probably um a lot of like, t- I think they ran ca- caught two touchdowns out of that formation, mm-hmm. one to Fortson and one to uh, Kelsey or, or Edwards Hilaire out of 11 personnel average 0.6 EPA per play. And as we all know, 11 personnel is the go-to personnel package for almost every team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the chiefs are just way too multiple to stop. And again, I, I, I really do feel sorry for any team that has to try to game plan against them in the first month of the NFL season. And unfortunately one of those teams happens to be my chargers as yeah. we'll get into later. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's September Mahomes, right? His EPA per play in September from 2018 to, you know, 2022 is 0.43. And then Phillip Rivers is in second place with 0.23. So Mahomes is almost double the second place for EPA per play in September. Uh, you know, it just, just unstoppable. Just all the wrinkles that Andy Reid throws out every year, this time of year is, is just crazy to stop. But, you know, then you look at the Vikings offense and they have all these new stuff that they're getting into too. And like Justin Jefferson is the story of week one, right? So, you know, Timo Riske said that he lined up outside uh, the number seven times on his 34 receiving snaps. So that was 21%. And that number for him was 38% uh, last year. So just mixing him around, putting him in the slot, you know, doing things to get him matched up on linebackers, uh, not on the, you know, the other team's cornerback one, which was Jair Alexander, who we know is, is really good. Just, just all that type of stuff to get Justin Jefferson open is why, you know, we both thought, he had a very high chance to win yeah. offensive player of the year this year. And he's the most important non-quarterback uh, on offense in the league right now because the whole offense is going to run through him and he props up his average quarterback, right? Like when you look at the other elite receivers, they had, or at least they had better quarterbacks before this season with mm-hmm. Tyree Kill with Mahomes and Devontae Adams with, with Aaron Rodgers and Jamar Chase with, with Burrow. But like Jefferson is gonna like keep Cousins at a high production level single-handedly, yeah. basically in in uh, Minnesota. So that's why he's he's just so important to the Vikings' new offense right now. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny on Monday seeing I, I think it was Justice Muscada or someone else. There were like three times where Preston Smith was lining up yeah. across from Justin Jefferson. I'm like, like how do you how does that happen? Like Preston Smith isn't even like a middle linebacker. Like he's like an edge player. And I, I know the Packers are playing a 3-4, but, like, O'Connell's ability to get Jefferson on a matchup where he's going to win a large majority of the time is is very important. And I think that's why, like, smart people like like Eric Eager were, were like, okay, if everything goes right for this Vikings offense and Kevin O'Connell does what Sean McVay does best, like, he's a great coach of the year candidate because he's doing a lot of these smart things. And, and, and Jefferson is that guy, and he has the ability to – win matchups matchups not only against you know average corners but like the best of the corners like i even think if jair was on him jefferson still probably would have gone over 100 yards mm-hmm. just because of o'connell's new scheme which you know i haven't had a chance to like really check out yet i want to like read my our friend sean sad's articles for the daily norseman at some point but really really promising start for the vikings in what should be a very fun season for mm-hmm. them oh yeah for sure and that's why that vikings eagles game that we'll get to in a little bit yeah. is so important uh, so let's let's quickly hit on Sunday night football. Um, Bucks offense was just meh. I thought Leonard Fournette had a good game. 
Uh, and, and Mike Evans is, you know, a reminder that every year he's just, he's just going to get his a thousand yards yeah. and a bunch of touchdowns and, and be fine. Um, the, you know, the really disappointing thing was Kellen Moore and Dak, who I thought both had really bad games. And especially since they played so well against the Bucks defense last year and for the majority of the first half of the season, you know, it was just kind of, it was, it was pretty disappointing to see Dak, you know, ranked last in EPA per play among all quarterbacks yeah. in week one. And poor guy is now out for six to eight weeks, which means he'll just sit at that ranking for a long time. Um, and eventually the sample size will get large enough to get him filtered out. But uh, there was that. Um, and then Monday night football, do you want to talk about Russell Wilson, what you kind of thought about his performance? Yeah, I thought, so I thought Russ was okay, but I think, you know, I've kind of started, started slowly like trending towards like EPA not being in the, the all end all be all stat for quarterbacks. And I think like in a general sense, you do want to be using ensemble, like an ensemble amount of like different metrics to evaluate Q- QBs, but like Russ average 0.4 EPA per play total EPA of like 20, which on paper looks really good. want to remind everyone again, the Seahawks defense is not that good. And they were starting. Uh, I don't even, I don't even remember who they are. Uh, they were starting the rookie Tariq Woolen at some point, And then like Sidney Jones was coming off the bench. Like it was not the greatest defense to go against. And Jamal Adams got hurt also. Yeah. So that takes away probably the best player of their defense. Mm-hmm. Now, our guy, Sean Desai, limited the Broncos to 16 points, even though it probably should have been 23 or, or 24 after the you know fumbles from the one. But again, Russ average total 20, uh, 20 to- expected total points or expected points added. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I can't speak right now. But 56% of that came on a Jerry Judy underthrown deep ball, which Judy made a great play on and turned that into like 30 yards of yak and two DPIs, which, you know, Russ kind of, over through one and under through one. So it was it wasn't like his performance was anything too special. And then when they got in the red zone, four red zone trips and zero touchdowns. Like I get that the fumbles are not his fault. I'm not saying the fumbles are his fault, but he went like seven of twelve for 35 yards and four red zone trips. You'd think a, a quarterback of the, the caliber people describe him as should be able to score once on a passing touchdown in the red zone. But especially with like big guys like Albert O and, and Cortland Sutton, but that just didn't happen. So I wasn't too impressed with Russ. I did like what I saw from Gino and our friend Steven mm-hmm. Ruiz was high in him all summer. <laughs> Again, Steven hasn't been wrong once since I started following him. So I'm really glad to see his takes continue to pay off for, for him and mm-hmm. his, his brand. Yeah. And then, you know, it goes back to the passing maps that you see at the end of this game, right? Oh Russell Wilson didn't have a throw over the middle of the field that traveled more than 10 yards. Yeah. Gito Smith was just thrown over the middle of the field at all times. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, there, there seems to be a shift in where Seattle is headed right now. Things started to become stale when, you know, at the end of the Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, there's drama, you know, a lot of the locker room guys don't seem to like Russell Wilson that much. Uh, as you know, as good of a player as he was, you know, his personality might not be there. And so there seems to be a shift in Seattle, right? We saw a woke fourth and one go for it yep. in the red zone yesterday from Pete Carroll. We saw, you know, the entire team going all out, Pete Carroll treating it like his it's a Super Bowl, <laughs> like you mentioned when we were watching the game together. Yeah. Uh and and then they're leading into all the too high and hiring Sean Desai. So I'm I'm very excited to see where they go. But that was that was good to to recap week one. Uh, we're going to have some new segments coming up here that we're going to do during the season that we're really excited about. So we're going to take a short break and come back with the who was him segment of the week. You are-
are not him. You are not I him. Told a bitch I'm him. Quit playing. Trying to ride with a boss, what bitch get in? Yeah. Stay on the road like the Michelin man. Put an M on your head like a Whoa. Michigan fan. So we are gonna do the who was him players of the weekend, which were the best players that we saw this past week in football. Very excited to do this. Uh, you know, touched on this earlier, but Justin Jefferson is just a complete game changer. Uh, you know, 184 receiving yards, 81 of those came after the catch, two receiving touchdowns. Uh, he just did everything that the Vikings offense, you know, was hopeful about. And uh, he's he's just a, an elite route runner, an elite yards after the catch guy, just basically, you know, as close as you can get to a perfect receiver in the modern NFL. Um, and, you know, just just has like an insane impact for for his team and the rest of the league. Yeah, definitely. He should be number one on this list. I have to go with my guy, Khalil Mack. I don't think. It's funny. It seems like every new place he goes to, he just has an insane debut with the mm-hmm. with the Bears. He took over on national television, and then with the Chargers, three sacks on his old QB Derek Carr, kind of blowing up the the Raiders' game plan every time they tried to pass on second and third down. Um, and he closed out the game with the with the strip sack, which I was getting really nervous by the end of the game, where the Chargers couldn't move the ball, and I'm like, this defense needs to get a stop right here. And he showed up in the biggest moment. So really happy for him. And I think, you know, it kind of speaks to how important that signing was for Brandon Sealy in that defense, because I don't know. I don't know if the Raiders offense could have been stopped as well as they could have without Mac. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, he definitely took over in that game. And a lot of people are saying he was washed. So it's cool to see when players go to new situations and they get energized by being a part of a championship contender. You yeah. saw that with uh, Odell and Von Miller at the Rams last year. And you see that again with Mac. Uh, another player that, you know, I talked about earlier was DeAndre Swift, who, you know, we talk about, you know, how there's so many good running backs in the NFL these days that it's hard for them to like really make an impact compared to whoever's behind them. But DeAndre Swift had, you know, 2.06 rushing yards over expected uh, last week and Jamal Williams had negative 0.5. So on any rush, uh, DeAndre Swift was 2.5 yards better than Jamal Williams. And you really saw that. And, and he added a lot in the receiving game was the main reason the Lions were in that game and had a chance to win. Yeah, that that uh, 50-yard run was awesome. Um, Kind of broke through the hole and mm-hmm. got to the second level. Um, my second who was him guy, A.J. Brown. I feel like A.J. Brown had the quietest 150-yard performance you know, the past couple of years, like, I don't know if anyone, anyone's really talking about it. Maybe it's because Jefferson was, was that good. Or, you know, there was some other craziness going on in the one o'clock games, but 10, 10 catches, 155 yards, 60, only 66 came after the catch. He had the most yard receiving yards after contact, which, you know, that kind of just speaks to who AJ Brown is Um, really thought he had a really good performance against, against the lions. And, one of the things that me and, and Brad Spielberger were kind of talking about is like how we should view different trades based on like the compensation, like the type of, or what part of the player you're getting them at or what part of the contract you're getting a player at. And like AJ Brown was traded for and extended. So you're investing a first rounder and the hundred million dollar contract. And if you compare that to like a Stefan Diggs trade where you're trading for Diggs when he still has like three or four years left on his deal, you know, your investment in AJ Brown is, is much higher. So I think this game kind of shows that he's one of the few players that could probably provide surplus value on a trade like that, plus an extension. So really good start to the season by him. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, no, it's so crucial for, for them to get that, to add that element to their passing game now and make teams respect it. Um, my last guy is we won't do coaches too often of this, but I want to shout out Brian Dable. You know, he took over, you know, a team that I had thought had the potential to have the number one pick this year, the highest potential to have the number one pick this year. And you could already see the difference that his culture makes compared to uh, Joe Judge and Jason Garrett last year. And going for two to, you know, take the lead um, might have made the Titans more aggressive on that last drive, but that's okay because who cares if you win yeah. or lose if you're the Giants right now, right? Like all about this year is about figuring out who's good and how to change the culture. And like, it was cool around the league. You saw like the different head coaches and their new effects on yeah. the the teams that they were coaching at. You know, you have Mike McDaniel uh, who, who had a pretty good game as a play caller. Kevin O'Connell had a, had a great game as a play caller and even like the Jaguars were in that game until the very end yeah. against the commanders. So all these, all these new coaches are are making their impacts right away. Yeah. I don't, I think the two point go for a thing was a point of discussion at that time. And I think you're right. Like, I think even if they went for the extra point, which some analytics people even were arguing for mm-hmm. your defense is so bad that the Titans are probably going to be in field goal range anyway. So why not just at least like, at least try to be in the position where if they miss the field goal, you win automatically yeah. instead of having to go to overtime. That was that was my thinking during that thing. Weirdly enough, my last guy that I thought had a really good performance, Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. Um, Saquon's kind of just been hurt the entire year. And I know he didn't really show up well in your rushing yards over expected metric, but I mean, totaling 190 yards on like 24 touches is is something that I feel we should celebrate a little bit, especially since he's coming off two injury plagued seasons. Um, even without the 68 yard run, he's still averaging about five yards a carry. So Really excited to see him back. And as we all know, he's one of the most explosive players and dynamic players in the NFL when healthy. Yeah. I mean, once you put the draft pick, you know, bias yeah. aside, he's a very good running back. And it's cool to see him healthy and, and kind of like the impact that he's going to have for them. And if they just use Tony and Daniel Jones and Saquon and some cool running things, like I'll be pretty excited about the Giants, even though they're, they're not going to be a good team, but yeah. at least they'll be kind of fun to watch. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so that was the Who Was Him segment. A lot of fun to to talk about, you know, players and coaches that excelled. But, you know, we have to flip it to the other side here with the letdowns. Uh, some good players and coaches from the past weekend who disappointed. Why don't you start us off with, uh, with one? <laughs> I have to say Joe Burrow. I think all the hype that was coming out of training camp, out of the offseason, some people were ranking him as, as high as like top three as in their quarterback rankings. You know, it kind of shows that there's there were some things that he needs to fix and he didn't. I wasn't expect. I was expecting him to regress a little bit. I didn't think it was gonna be this bad, and I guess part of that is like maybe we overlooked the fact that he didn't have an entire off season at all, mm-hmm. and he had pretty much no chemistry with his offensive line because he didn't practice during training camp for most of it, and he didn't play in the preseason. So, pretty disappointing performance by him, but. I think he's good enough to where he'll bounce back, um, especially against the Cowboys uh, this upcoming uh, week. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I, I I do think he will bounce back against the Cowboys, although I'm very curious to see how many sacks Parsons gets against him. But uh, I, I let down, you know, you mentioned the offseason. And for me, it's like Aaron Rodgers. And like you, I, I know, like, you know, the, the, the situation is not good. You had injuries across your offensive line and receiving room and you lost Devontae Adams but you can't come out that flat in week one. And on top of that, you have this whole off season where you're going on butter cleanses and taking psychedelics and saying that you're in like the best state of mind you've ever been in. And then 
every sideline shot is you getting frustrated about the way that the offense is acting and like <laughs> the Christian Watson dropped pass that, yeah. you know, Rogers body language after that, like just wasn't good. And like his, his play wasn't good too on top of that. Right. So it's, I think like, you know, the Packers will be fine going forward and Rogers will play at a, at a pretty high level, but his off season regimen is just not the right way to get into football shape and you can kind of see the effects of that with the way he played against the Vikings. Yeah, I agree. I had him on my list as well. So the other letdown I had, Frank Reich. So I I thought the biggest like surprise for me was the Colts tying the, the Texans. And honestly, the Texans were the better team in this game. And the way I saw this game playing out, I thought Colts would go up early and just pound the rock. They were... They were down and then they started pounding the rock where Taylor got like 60 yards in the final quarter. I still don't know how they tied the Texans. And you made all of this, you made the move to go from Wentz to Matt Ryan. And you're, I was expecting this offense to look much better. A lot of the smart film analysts expect were expecting this massive jump on, in the Colts offensive efficiency, but didn't really see that. And I, I am questioning Reich as a head coach a little bit now where I was really bullish on the Colts to win the AFC South. And luckily, no other team had a win in the <laughs> AFC South um, because the Jags and the uh, Titans both lost. But it, it was a little bit concerning to see the, the type of offensive output we got from from the Colts this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's just Reich is now 0-5 in Week 1 games. And, I, I, like, that was something that we talked about was him against the spread. And like, it's just, it's just bad that like, you know, I think that they started so slow every year and Matt Ryan's going to need some time to get used to the offense, but still it's the Texans. Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta be better than that. Um, Another, another letdown that, you know, I talked about earlier was Dak Prescott, you know, was, was probably one of the worst games he's played in his career and just nothing seemed comfortable for him at all. Like I know his supporting cast was really bad, but it was, it was, you know, it was him missing a lot of receivers and just not being on the same page with them at a lot of times. Like I think about that play where um, Brown, Noah Brown is running across the field and kind of sits and then like starts moving a little bit because of the way the defenders are moving and Dak threw it to where he was sitting and it hit him behind. And mm-hmm. that would have been like a crucial third down conversion that would have kept them in the game. But it was just all the combination of bad things for, for the Cowboys. I, I feel really bad that he got injured. But it was it was still some pretty poor performance from him. Yeah, and no, I do I felt bad for him just going into the season that he the Cowboys just got like worse on offense. They yeah. just lost good players, and I think it showed. Um, so my final letdown. Uh, have to talk about Joe Lombardi. The the Chargers, I just I think on both sides of the ball beat the Raiders. Justin Herbert averaged. 0.48 or 0.45 EPA per pass. Derek Carr was negative and still the Chargers only won by five. Mm-hmm. And it's because Lombardi got super conservative as they built up this lead. Once they were up 11, up 14, um, they started run, run, pass, run, run, pass. And I'm like, you have a, the, a top three quarterback in the NFL. Like, why aren't you putting the ball in his hands? Mm-hmm. Your offensive line, your, your running game is averaging 2.6 yards per carry, yet you can, you still continuously do it. And like, I understand that going into the game, the Raiders' interior was a weak point. I even said they should probably try to run the ball up the middle. But once you see in the first three quarters that it's not working, you have to pivot. Yeah. And you can't be 
conservative because it's not going to work against the Bills. It's not going to work against the Chiefs, against good offenses. And, you know, they play them this Thursday. So I'm really curious to see if he changes his mindset. Now, luckily for the Chargers, he did say he thought he got too conservative at the end in his press conference. So hopefully he recognizes that. But a lot of concerning signs for the for Joe Lombardi. And I really do hope he's able to fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bill Belichick was my last letdown. But I want to actually transition into Chiefs Chargers and talk about that because when we're looking at this Thursday night game, first of all, so excited, especially to be watching it with you yeah. <laughs> and seeing the emotions. Um, but I think like Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert are at a point where Mahomes is still the better quarterback. But they're at a point where their output is going to be about the same, uh, you know, and, and you can kind of like, you know, mix it with Mahomes having a better offensive line and, you know, Mahomes maybe having some better receiving options if Keenan Allen is out, but they're going to play at about the same level. And like, that's where I think my concern is, is I just trust Andy Reid so much more than I trust Joe Lombardi in this game. And that's what, like what the difference is to me and in, in, in like why I would like yeah. lean Chiefs to win is just because I just can't get around to, you know, trusting Joe Lombardi to have the same pass rate yeah. that Andy Reid is going to have. And then like the same scheme. And like when you go back to the Thursday night game last year, the red zone fourth downs is where the Chargers struggled. And that's what Andy Reid is, you know, the best and most creative with where you'll have, you know, fullback shovel passes or double screens or, you know, different yeah. stuff like that. And so that's that's my main concern going into this game if I was a Chargers fan. Yeah. And like I I know the defense look good against the Raiders, but I really don't have any faith that this defense is going to hold up against the Chiefs new look mm-hmm. offense. Like even in their game when they played last year, the Chargers forced four turnovers, but each of those turnovers, except for one, came when the Chiefs were like past midfield or, or driving. It's not like the Chargers defense had a good performance. They just they just took the ball away and limited scoring opportunities for the Chiefs, which, you know, those things are just fluky year over year. So I don't think that's going to happen again. And I don't think the Chargers defense is good enough to hold up, you know, every drive and against the Raiders it was the Raiders converting one or two first downs and then stalling which the Chiefs per Timo Riske again had in that in his first down chart they had the highest percentage of of downs that ended in touchdowns or first downs Mm -hmm. or like set of downs right like one of those things so I am really concerned for the Chargers defense and the Chargers offense like they're not gonna have Keenan Allen and that's that's pretty big in this game where Steve Spagnuolo is going to run all these exotic looks and blitzes. You need to have guys that can get open like that. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that without Keenan. Josh Palmer only had three catches last week. Mike Williams only had two. And Williams is more of a deep, deeper developing route type of guy. So there's going to be need to be guys that step up on the Chargers receiving room. And I, I just don't know if there's that that receiver guy that the if there's a receiver that can separate off the snap as quick as Keenan. And, and so I am a little bit bearish on the Chargers offense this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still, I still think it'll be, you know, a close game because they have Herbert and probably will, will come down to the fourth, fourth quarter. And like, I think the important thing is, you know, you have a fully healthy Derwin James yeah. and you can match him up on Travis Kelsey and make the chiefs receivers that, you know, played pretty well last week just because of it was the Cardinals defense, <laughs> but make them try to beat your corners. Right. And like, I don't know if there's anyone I fully trust that could straight up beat, uh, you know, an average NFL corner right now. Like I think there would be, you know, times where they beat them, but there's not going to be like a Tyree kill effect. And that this is the type of game where Tyree kill, uh, you know, 
his loss actually might affect them because last year, you know, once the Chiefs started seeing all their too high, the average depth of target that Mahomes had, and that especially that throws to Tyree Kill, you know, went under seven. Yeah. And you know, when when it, his rookie year, it was around you know nine or ten. So it's just like it. It's like you were just feeding Tyree Kill with these five yard passes that he would turn into eight nine yards, and that was like pretty backbreaking as like a too high structure defense. This year, you're not going to get that as much. So hopefully, you know, as if Derwin is able to lock down Kelsey, the receivers are going to be able to stop them there. Yeah. So um, pr- pretty excited for this game going forward or on Thursday. And, you know, we'll be watching together. But I wanted to talk about the Bucks and the Saints. Also, one of the more fun matchups of this weekend. Um, the Bucks had a pretty good performance against the Cowboys. I, their offense didn't look that great, but their defense played pretty lights out. And the Saints had this wild come from behind victory against the Falcons and I think the storyline of this game is Dennis Allen has kind of owned Tom Brady ever since Brady's Mm -hmm. come to the division four and one and the only loss coming because Jared Cook fumbled in the playoff game so I I really I'm curious to see if because Allen has new responsibilities as a head coach like how that you know that how that affects the defense's performance Plus, I don't, I don't really know if the Saints' defense looked all that good. The, the Falcons were mm-hmm. kind of driving on them, and they just settled for field goals. But they were like continuously in New Orleans territory. Part of that probably because um, the Saints were always punting and getting the Falcons the ball at like the the minus thirty or minus forty or the marking or fumble. But I'm not too high on the Saints as I was coming into the season, especially on the defense side. Yeah, I think the Saints defense is built to stop pocket passers and not mobile quarterbacks. Yeah. And that's what kind of got them in the game against the Falcons. But you can see every time they play the Bucks, like you mentioned, is it's how do you beat Brady, right? The interior pressure, the four-man rush that you really need to get to him because you need to drop seven into coverage and really just muddy the area. Uh and you know, I think it's it's kind of like a uh it's kind of like the Saints defense is in the Bucks' head. Like this has been four straight regular season games where they've been embarrassed. Like it hasn't even been like, oh, they throw 13 points up there, but you know, there were some unlucky interceptions or anything. You have like a nine zero game on Sunday night football where the, you know, the bucks actually couldn't score a point and were one of the best offices in the NFL. So yeah, I, I do think, you know, maybe the defense gets worse because Dennis Allen has more responsibilities and like the, the loss of Sean Payton is pretty big, but you have your Jameis, fourth quarter heroics uh, that he had last week. And he was great in the first half against the Bucks last yeah. year. And this is his revenge game, you know, part two against them. Yeah. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he goes, he goes off there. And, you know, we like when, when Jameis does well, because it's always fun to see high variance quarterbacks lean into their, their ceiling instead of their floor. Yeah. The, the other part about this game is like, or about the saints was how they could deal without, how their offense was going to deal without Sean Payton. And I wasn't like too impressed with Pete Carmichael, especially because I don't think he got Alvin Kamara the ball enough. Like Alvin Kamara is the most dynamic player on that team. Like I know Michael Thomas is a great receiver, but like you want the ball in Kamara's hands more often than not. And one of the things I loved about Kamara's game was his option routes. And I don't think they did enough of that, Mm -hmm. especially against a pretty weak Falcons core. Now, when you're facing the Bucs, I feel like there is one consensus linebacker you should be targeting in coverage more than more often than the other. So yes. I am curious to see how Carmichael uses Camara 
um, in this game because I think the the Bucks match up well with the Saints on the outside. And on the other side of the ball, I, I'm really uh, excited to see the Marshawn Lattimore versus Mike Evans matchup, mm-hmm. which I think Lattimore has, has dominated more often than not. It's one of the most fun rivalries in the NFL. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, I'm excited to see that as well. Going into Dolphins Ravens, uh, pretty pretty excited about this game. Also, I think I think you know two teams that were both started one and zero, but like also have had like a good amount of offseason hype behind them by a lot of people. So you know I think the Ravens defense played pretty well in in week one. I get it was the Jets, but you can see like Mike McDonald's coaching and kind of like the vision and the shift that they're having from the ultra blitz heavy scheme to, you know, just sending four man rushes sometimes and playing, you know, more three safeties stuff. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it'll be a super interesting matchup seeing what they do at corner at safety to, you know, go against the speed of Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle, both who had pretty good week ones and are looking like they're, you know, doing pretty well as, um, as, you know, receivers in the, the Mike McDaniel offense. Yeah, and the thing about the the Dolphins last year under Brian Flores, like they were a big blitzing team. They only blitzed about 3.6% of the time in week one. So maybe under Josh Boyer, who's their new defensive coordinator, they shift a little bit towards not blitzing as much, which I think would be a mistake against the Ravens. I think you do want to put pressure on Lamar, especially because I don't really think they have that go-to guy. Like Mark Andrews is great, but like you want a receiver as your go-to guy more often than not. And um I, I am curious to see if like the Devin Duvernay breakout continues this week because he had a pretty good game last week. Um, but the the difference in how the Dolphins play their scheme last year versus this year, I think will be a fun watch. And also, I, I mean, I hope that the Ravens just stomp to it. Like, again, we're one of the most overrated performances, I think, like didn't really put much on tape, a lot of run one read stuff, a lot of um, stuff that came after the catch two turnover worthy plays, zero big time throws. I had Dolphins fans in my mentions telling me a 12 yard throw on a 12 yard throw on a crosser where Waddle had two yards of separation is a big time throw. But again, I, I don't think two is that good. He could be productive, but not good. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a difference there. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought Tua was okay from what I saw, but yeah, again, it's, it's going to be the new Jimmy G to an extent. He doesn't have the offensive line that Jimmy G has, but the production will always be better than the play, which is fine when you're on a rookie contract, yeah, right? Exactly. It, get, it gets problematic when you get paid like $35, $40 million a year. But it's very curious to see, you know, how how they, they go against this this defense. Uh, game of the week, Monday Night Football, the the second uh, game in the doubleheader, which I, I forgot about until yeah. a couple of days ago, um, is Vikings-Eagles, which, you know, two teams that are are very, very high after week one and, you know, are going to be pretty big contenders in the, the NFC. And I think this is going to come down to which average to above average quarterback, <laughs> which is what cousins and, and Hertz are yeah. can make two big time throws. That's all you have to do yeah. to, to outperform the other quarterback on the other end. Both of these guys are going to play well in structure because that's what they do. And Hertz is going to do well as a design rusher. Cousins will be, you know, an accurate passer. But like, can you just make that that wow play 
that, you know, only a couple other quarterbacks in the league can make to, to elevate your team. They both have the receivers to throw to for that with Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown, but I just want to see it from them in this game. Yeah. And, and Vikings and the Eagles are two very smart teams. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to see what our friends over at the Eagles do to kind of contain Justin Jefferson. Cause I do feel like you kind of eliminate him. You, you are in a better position to succeed route and force guys like Adam Thielen or KJ Osborne to beat you. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a battle between two very smart teams. And after, um, after this week in, in Mike, or in, in predictables betting market rankings, the, the Vikings are third and the Eagles are fourth <laughs> over teams like the Bucks, the the Rams, the Packers. So there's a lot of hype right now surrounding both teams. And I'm excited to see how it plays out mm-hmm. on Monday night. Yeah. And then the the note about primetime Kirk Cousins, uh, <laughs> not, not really a real thing, Yeah, but it's fun to talk about. Yeah. And if he loses, you know, people will definitely bring up the primetime record. Yeah. So... You know, we kind of previewed some of our some of the most exciting games for this upcoming s- slate. Now we'll give out some of our bets um, of the week. So I'll start off with my, my one of my favorite plays, which is Lions minus two and a half. I think it's still minus one and a half on FanDuel, minus 115. So that I think that's the better line if you can grab that. But not much of a difference between minus 1.5 and minus 2.5. The reason I like this is because I think the Lions offense is legit. And if they could run the ball against the Eagles front, I think they should have no problem running against the commander's front. And I don't think Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. And I think, you know, I think the the Jaguar secondary was at a talent deficit to um to the uh to the commanders. And I think the Lions, if Jeffrey Okuda really did make that second year or third year jump, uh over Warrior is probably going to pick up Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. given Wentz's inaccuracy and, and variance. I do like this play a lot, and um, it, it's, with the Lions at home, the play should be rocking again, so they should have the home field advantage there. And it's kind of this bet is kind of based on the fact that if the Lions' offense puts up points, I don't think Carson Wentz will be able to keep up um, because the the Commanders were playing from ahead for most of this game for most of last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I like this too because, again, when we go back to the high-variance quarterback, which is what Carson Wentz is, when he goes up against you know a bad defense, that's better for the defense's perspective because he's going to throw interceptions no matter what and throw yeah. bad passes and miss open receivers no matter what. So, you know, when you're a bad defense, getting two interceptions is huge for you. It's that's game changing. That's something that you don't do often when you're when it's going up against a good defense. It's common for them for that to happen. So the the floor, the you know, the the bottom 10 percentile, the top 10 percentile plays will happen no matter what defense you're playing against. So the Lions, you know, being a bad defense can really take advantage of it in this game. So really, really do hope they cover. And I, I like that bet for sure. My bet that I really, really like this week is Ravens minus three uh, against the Dolphins. And, you know, the reason I like this is because whenever you can get a field goal or less with this big of a difference in quarterback ability, I feel like, you know, you have to take it. And then you add on to that, that other than receiver, everything that the Ravens have is better than the Dolphins, right? Yeah. So it's not like it's just quarterback versus uh good quarterback versus bad quarterback with a a major difference in supporting cast, you could argue that Ravens uh, surrounding Lamar plus the defense is better than uh, the Dolphins surrounding of Tua 
and the defense. So I I, I just want to lean into, you know, Lamar uh, versus Tua. And like, I, I think that they should be able to cover, especially early in the season when we see John Harbaugh teams do really well. Yeah, I agree. I like that bet as well. I'm definitely going to be taking that. And uh, I, I really do hope for the Ravens sake that they do cover this and, and win this because I think and that you want to build up as much of a lead as you can in the, in the North with the Bengals not starting out strong and the, mm-hmm. the Browns most likely um, going to be winning this next week against the Jets. Um, another bet I like, it's kind of a two-parter. Like you can pick which one you want. My official play is going to be Bills minus nine and a half. I also like Titans team total under 19 and a half, but I mean, the, the Bills are just the best team in the NFL. I think last year, this if if the spread was nine and a half, I would have taken the Titans. But I think the Bills shored up their run defense. I mean, their interior D lineman group is deep. Like they have Ed Oliver. Um, is it Jordan Phillips? The, the, yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. Jordan Phillips. Um, they have a bevy of edge rushers that they can rotate. Boogie Basham, uh, Vaughn Miller, Greg Rousseau. So I think they have the talent up front to stop Derrick Henry and they just shut down um, the Rams passing offense. I'm not worried about the Titans passing offense at all. So I think they'll shut down what the Titans try to do on offense. And then, you know, when the bills are on offense, I mean, who's really going to stop that offense at full strength. So um, I think that the talent differential is too much here. And I think the bills fix what they needed to in the off season to be able to stop rushing teams like the Titans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love this one. I think, you know, I think back to that Monday night game they had last year and how both teams have gone in completely opposite direction since then the bills have done everything they can to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah. The Titans have done everything they can to make sure, uh, you know, they, they don't do well against a team like the bills. Uh, my last bet, this one will actually be an article on pff.com. I'm, I'm back doing content with him uh, for this season. Uh, so be sure to check this out. I'll have a couple Thursday night football prop bets in there that I'm really excited about. And this was my favorite one. And the one I feel the most confident about Patrick Mahomes over 2.5 passing touchdowns plus one Oh five on bet MGM plus one Oh five on DraftKings. So you can just pick to, to bet, uh, either one in the first four weeks of the season from 2018 to 2022, Patrick Mahomes averages 3.2 passing touchdowns a game. This number like falls to 2.5 for the rest of the season. Uh, and that's where I think they got, you know, they get this number from when they're doing their modeling uh, for this, for this prop, but it's 3.2 in the first month because he dominates, you know, the first four weeks of the season. Derek Carr has averaged 1.4 touchdowns per game throughout his career and threw two touchdowns on the chargers mm-hmm. last week. And they're going to still be missing JC Jackson. So I, I, I just like, you know, Mahomes in a primetime game, uh, with everything Tyreek Hill said this offseason against the Chargers defense, I'm still iffy about right now to throw more than uh, two and a half touchdowns. Yeah. Can we can we just make this our lock of, or lock of the week? Yeah. Of the week? <laughs> it's fun in I mean, Mahomes, I'm good with betting anything Mahomes. And it, this could be an emotional hedge against my Chargers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like I said, I think the Chargers defense is going to have a hard time slowing down this Chiefs offense. And J.C. Jackson at the time we're recording, which is Tuesday, um, is kind of 50-50. But knowing Brandon Staley and hearing how he's spoken about J.C., I, I think there's they're just going to sit him out, especially since they won the first game. You know, they're kind of expected to lose this game on the road. So no real harm in sitting him. And, you know, Mahomes, like you said, 3.2 t- average, average 3.2 touchdowns. The fact that we're still getting this at plus money is incredible. So um, definitely going to make that our lock of the week. 
Um, make sure to go check out our spreadsheet to see how many units we're putting on each thing. You know, probably be one for each of the other bets and then 1.5 or two for the bet of the week. Mm -hmm. So Tage, great episode. Any, any final things you want to say about, you know, week one or looking forward to week two? Yeah. I just want to, you know, talk about, uh, you know, Eric Eager leaving PFF, uh, for a little bit. So, you know, he's someone that we both owe like a lot to, and, you know, with this decision, with him going from PFF to Sumer Sports, you know, it's a pretty big transition for both of these companies, right? Considering all the work that he's done. And so, you know, you could kind of see like why, you know, he would want to do something like of this opportunity because Super Sports has like all these resources that they've they've been putting out and everything. But it's not like a you know, it's not a dickabit on PFF as a company it's just a new opportunity for someone who you know built a lot at their former company and and i think it's going to be really cool to see what he does there and and you know everyone that works with him is going to be really lucky to to do that yeah if you simply just look at the replies under sweet and the people he's worked with mm-hmm. and and impacted it's it's so it's a lot and it's like i only got to work with him in you know closely like for about like four months but those four months were like the advice I got, the feedback, the responses, everything was so professional. And he was always there anytime I needed to ask him a question, whether it was about football or betting the WNBA. And like, that's, that's just one of my, the the things I loved about him is like, I can, I, I think he's a friend now rather than just a coworker or a boss. And that's just the type of impact he had on people and really excited for him to go to Sumer. And obviously, you know, everyone at PFF is probably going to miss him. So, um, you know, Eric, want to thank you for everything you do if you're listening to this yeah yeah for sure yeah you know yeah really really appreciate you know just every time I talked to him I became a, a smarter football fan and I'm jealous of the people at Schumer that we know yeah. like Sean Clement and Udit uh our friends who who will get to do the same thing with him uh you know over these next couple of years while he's there yeah so again that was our episode today um we'll be back next week with the same thing week two review week three preview and also our first m fans guest so really looking forward to that but until next time take the point